0: Hey, good evening, everyone. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at The Table. Thank you for joining us in this space. This is the part in our worship program, be it if we're doing it online or in person, where we just pause and try to, uh, we call it a sermon, but it's just a space where we take our stories, root them inside of the sacred story, the tradition that we claim, and see if there's some kind of nutrient, something that's helpful that can um, you know, empower and equip us to to live into the flourishing that God wired us to be in. Uh, Before we get there, though, I want to make sure I say this to you, same thing I say every week, who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. I'm kind of like, I put a lot of time into tonight's sermon, and I know that's kind of risky thing to do, given the limited capacity to actually pay attention on a screen like this. And so if you get nothing out of what I'm going to say shortly, at least catch that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Now let's talk about the series that we are in. Do I stay or do I go? It's kind of like a Clash song, but different. Uh, we are looking at Brian McLaren's book, Do I Stay Christian? And we're asking that question sincerely for ourselves. Like, do I stay Christian is not a theoretical or metaphorical question, or nor is it something that we're just throwing out there like flippantly and like nodding our head to like, yeah, we're really, we're really considering, no. No, actually like some of us, we really are thinking like, I don't know if I can stay inside this tradition. Given the, the harms that have been perpetuated, the damage that has been done, that sense of even not just the exclusivity, but our own sense of like, um, I am at a place that is no longer consistent with this place. And so how do I live into all that I am while still being stuck in a place where I'm not? Uh, that's a question that hangs over our heads. And it's, uh, it's at least for me, that's this question that's always been one of mine. You know, it's funny, on page three, I believe of Brian McLaren's 262-page book, he, he shares this moment that is, well, it's beautiful, and I'll tell you why in a second, but he's talking about how early on when he started to hold a lot of these different kind of conversations, he was speaking at a church one night when shortly after the service had concluded, he was doing this book signing in a line And, you know, people do what they do. They bring him the book, he signs the pages. And then all of a sudden, there was a youth pastor that came up to him that kind of disrupted the rhythm in the line and gave him a hug and said, you are the reason that I'm still a Christian today. That feels like a throwaway story. And what's the point of telling that here? Except that I called Debbie when I read it because that youth pastor that he's speaking of is me. I I was that guy, I remember the church, I remember the space, I remember like the tears in my eyes as I told him that I have been in this season where I've been tossing and turning, I've been in this place where it's like, I I can no longer give these kids these prescribed answers that are no longer reflective of reality that I don't really believe in, but they need them to be true, even though I don't know how to hold, I I don't know if I can stay in this space. And then somebody gave me his book, Brian McLaren's book, um, A New Kind of Christian, And it brought new kinds of questions, and it challenged old kinds of assumptions. And it invited me into this new way of asking, is there space inside of this tradition that has now been going on for thousands of years to not just be this preservationist that keeps the status quo intact, but to follow the spirit to where we are actually called to go next. That book was catalytic for me because it was just this very good and helpful reminder that the form that we are presently in, it isn't supposed to be the form we'll always be in. Uh, There is always that evolution, the expanding, the experience of moving from where we were to where we need to go. But that's not a fun space to be in. That liminal space, the space where you do start pulling on the thread and the deconstruction does begin and you start asking questions about these old kinds of assumptions. It's not like it. I, I've yet to at least meet anybody who's who's described that experience and being in that space, especially out of the gates, as one that is filled with joy and comfort and like all everything you ever wanted and more. That's just not true. Matter of fact, I was on the phone with a, a couple in our community this past week who live in Chicago and, pr- and participate online. And we talked about this very thing We talked about how there is just some kind of incongruency between who I am and what the church is, and I don't know what to do with it. I feel dizzy. I feel like I am lost and then found and then lost and then found. I feel like there are the angst and the aches, the sleepless nights and the creased brows and the lonely days, and can I say this out loud? Why aren't they saying it out loud? Why am I feeling this inside? Is anybody else feeling this way inside? It's not an enjoyable experience to try to leave the house that raised you while simultaneously loving the house that you left, not knowing where you can go next, not knowing where your feet are supposed to land, not knowing how do you frame your life now that the frame for your life has been taken down, adjusted, nuanced. I mean, no matter what the context is, be it religious or otherwise, getting honest about where you're at, both as a person and also collectively as a people, where you are, Getting honest is never easy. It it always feels uh, very expensive, but it's how the whole thing works. It's what expansion actually looks like. And by the whole thing, I really do mean the whole thing. Let's just talk universe for a moment. Have you ever sat before like an evolutionary theorist or biologist of sorts who can cite to you the the moment that the earth began from billions of years ago and the process of formation that took place? the process of what creation actually looked like. And you, you're listening, you're trying your best to um, you know, keep that jaw off the ground and keep your ears wide open to what he's saying, but the whole thing is both complicated and wild and hard to understand and yet it's beautiful. It started small and then it became US Bank Stadium, churches all over the country, relationships. It started small and then it grew big. It's almost like there's like this inherent directionality that's embedded at the core of all things creation. It's there. There was a time where there were no atoms. And then there was a time where suddenly there was atoms. There was a time where there were no molecules, and then suddenly there was a time where there was molecules. There was a time when there's no cells. Then there were cells. There was no fire, and then there was fire. There was no tribes, and then there was tribes. There was no cities, and then there were cities. On and on and on, the whole thing continues to unravel and expand and grow larger and and, and become this beautiful, breathtaking thing. For 13 billion years now, the thing is growing wider and wider. It is this dynamic reality that never ceases to stop. And for me, when I I think about how, you know, Paul talks about how we can discern the heart of God when we just look at the creation itself and how the psalmists say that the whole earth speaks of God's grandeur when you look at like what this is, without knowing all the science behind it and every, every detail that's embedded in it, you cannot help but walk away and go, there's something about being alive, there's something about being in this place, there's something about being a part of creation, there's something about being you, and there's something about me that is inherently growing wider the older that I get, the older that we get what was is no longer what is, and what is will no longer be what's next. This is why the Genesis story continues to captivate me and just move me in different ways. It used to be about like, you know, it was at seven literal days, and how, how did a rib turn into a woman? All those pieces where it's like, you're missing the point, man. The Genesis poem, though, it says this thing that we are talking about right now from the very first pages. The Genesis poem says that there was a void, there was nothing, then there was earth, and there was dirt, and there was dust, and it was lifeless, it was inanimate, but then the breath of God, breath, ruach, the same word in Hebrew that is used for spirit. The breath goes into the dust, the breath goes into the dirt, the breath goes into the the earth, and all of a sudden, the thing starts to move, and the thing starts to pulsate with life, and it starts moving immediately towards What's next? There is a man that crawls out of that dust. There are plants that start springing up. There are lakes that are formed. There is life. Spirit, breath of God, goes into a form, and the form becomes alive. This is why there is such an inherent dignity in all people, everywhere, at all times. Because you and I, we are made of dust, the dirt. We are just a form. We have a start and a stop. I can see you. You can see me. We are form. We're a thing. But We also carry within ourselves the breath of God. The spirit, this spark, the same thing that moves the universe forward all the time, that same thing is stirring in my gut and also in yours. Spirit and structures, breath and form, the two work together in this beautiful marriage. And it's important to say that because we do need forms. It's not easy for me to say that, but we do need structure. We do need to have these these ways of going about our beings. Forms are not... Bad, we need guides, we need reference points, we need traditions, lineages, films, scriptures, concerts, songs, poems, prayers. These forms that we carry with us as aids of sorts, they are essential for our ability to access the spirit at all times, to be pulled in from what's now to what's next. But just to be clear though, forms are not the goal. Forms are here to point, but forms are never the point. This is why when Jesus was talking about uh, religion he's talking about wine skin he's talking about a a form and he's talking about a spirit and he's talking about how people get so addicted to the form that they miss out on the work of the spirit he says listen if you have this old wine skin that's carrying real good wine don't be dumb put that wine instead of a new wine skin the whole point is the wine the pointers are just the skin and so the question that we are asking do i stay christian is a question about form, but it is born from this searching for spirit. And the reason why we ask it with a lump in our throats and a limp in our steps is because we have tasted some form of the wine, and then we go to a church where the primary care is the skin. We have experienced spirit, but then we go to a church and they talk about creeds and codes and beliefs and how we do things is how we've always done things and you sit right here and you sing that song and you listen and you're kind and you just copy and paste and copy and paste and copy and paste, but you've tasted the wine. You long for a better skin, but this old skin is all that's being offered. And you can have every form imaginable. You could have it nailed down like to a T. You know how to do your form, it works great for you. Uh, you're killing it in your form. But if that form does not have spirit, if it does not have that animating, propulsive energy doing something inside of it, then it is just dust, dirt, and earth. It's just a prayer. It's just a set of beliefs. It's just a religion. It's just words. And so we just copy and paste and copy and paste. All of these things, the prayers, the traditions, the lineages, the songs, the texts, the way that we go about doing things, it does matter that each of these things have its place. But we need to maintain our priorities. We need to maintain the conviction that structure serves spirit and spirit is not subjugated to the ways of structure spirit hears the groans of people who say it just it is what it is spirit sees the way that we go about our forms and we get really good at these things without ever asking if they're actually good for us spirit sees all of this and is constantly endlessly inviting us to see what we can't see yet to follow where it leads but here's the other side of it too is that as the spirit speaks into your life as you taste that good ruach wine Just because you may have to leave doesn't mean that everything behind you gets left. Living with this widening heart is still living with the heart that was once upon a time very small. Who you were at 10 is still somehow in you now at 30. That young youth pastor that I was 15 years ago that hugged Brian McLaren and said thank you for being a balm, a oasis in the desert to keep me alive inside of this tradition, that guy is still in me. Molecules don't replace atoms. Molecules are made of atoms. Cells don't replace molecules. Cells are made of molecules. As life continues to unfold and evolve, each new level of complexity, it doesn't abandon the older levels, it includes the previous ones. So the directionality of all things is baked and cooked into the very nature of the universe. This constant unfolding, enveloping, um, going wider and bigger, and taking it further and further. The story is getting more lovely. and lo- We notice, and we know for a fact, that evolution goes beyond where it was before as it follows where the Spirit is leading next. But when you follow where it leads, it doesn't necessarily mean you leave where it has led. It transcends, but it also includes. It goes further, but it takes what was good behind you with you on your journey. This is how we grow, this is how we stretch, this is how we put away the childish things, as Paul once said. Paul was not saying that those things that you were putting away were inherently bad. Those were things that were good for you when they were good for you, but no longer do you belong in the back of a second grade classroom because you're a grown adult now. And so the things that served you in one season are no longer fit to serve you in the next. Forms work until forms don't work. The same form that can be liberating and challenging and exciting, over time, that same form can become limiting and stifling and conflicting. Is dust and dirt and earth, and then the spirit blew into it and it came alive. If we do not allow the spirit to breathe into the form that we hold, we cannot actually expect it to continue to live. If it has no malleability, flexibility, the adaptability to see reality for what it is and change consistently with it, it has no business being alive because it's antithetical to the work of the spirit. The spirit only knows one kind of creation and that's new. It's next. It's working in the now to take us where we need to go. So a lot of people are asking, do I stay Christian? And they're leaning towards a, I I don't know, but I don't think I can because they are at a place in their life that the form can no longer fit. Their problem might not actually even be with Christianity. Their problem isn't with Jesus, it's with the form of Christianity that's been presented to them as the only expression of the faith. The tragedy is that we have been led to believe that we need to abandon the whole thing because we cannot see a new form. We choose divorce instead of graduation. But can you leave one form without everything in it being left? Even if where you are is dead, even if the church is dead, do you believe that the same spirit that brought dust into life, the earth into plants, vegetation and the whole thing that continues to move forward, do you believe that the dust can dance once more, that new bodies and new things can come out of this ground too? What would it mean for Christians to rediscover their faith on a different kind of form that is not presented as this problematic system of beliefs, but as a just and generous way of life? a way of life that is rooted in contemplation and expressed in compassion, one that makes amends for its mistakes and is dedicated to the construction of the beloved community for all peoples at all times. Could Christians move away from defining their faith as a system of beliefs to expressing it as a loving way of life? Spirit needs structure, the breath needs the body, but if the structure doesn't serve the spirit, then the spirit will be subdued by the structure. Like I, said, I don't know if any of this is going to make sense to anybody, and, and I've come to terms with that a while ago, but, you know, it's interesting. This was breakthrough information for me because when I first got into this pastoral gig, be it with youth ministry kids or with grown adults, I thought I was in a position where I was supposed to finalize and further furnish the forms that we held. I thought my job as a pastor, as a spiritual teacher, was to have the last word on things, to teach people about the mysteries that none of us have any idea about, to how to actually live out their faith, to answer all the complicated questions with, with um, apologetics books or these, whatever. I, I thought my job was to have the last word on things, but now I've come to realize that my my job is here to be the first word. The sermon is not the end all be all summarization of all things, but what I hope happens inside of this space right now is that there is something that is said and there There is something that you hear that will actually start to plant a seed or make you more aware of the breath moving through your body that pulls you from where you are to where you need to go next, and you take each and every one of us with you. This is how we say yes to Christianity, while we can still simultaneously say no to the form. How is spirit breathing into us to move us away from where we were? What we've all identified is, is, is antithetical to the ways of Christ and into what's next where the spirit desires for us to go the beauty and the thing that is so compelling to me about the jesus story is that jesus steps onto the scene where the government has their foot on the common folks necks, and the religious elites have their foot on the common folks hearts and their pockets are empty and things are frustrating but nothing is changing everyone just says it just is what it is how it's been is how it'll always be jesus comes forward though and says what about if the first were actually last What about if it wasn't about these grandiose visions, but things that started with the smallness of a seed? What if we actually let the little kids come to us? What if the meek, the merciful, the compassionate, the kind, what if they get included in the party? What if their reward is greater than the ones that we've been restricting them from receiving? What if the rich that we see go into all of their palaces and onto all of their high horses, what if it's gonna be very tough for people like that to get into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus comes through and insists on love and generosity and solidarity and compassion and instead of killing your enemies, praying for your enemies. This is the power of Jesus' teaching for 2,000 years strong. It is an assessment of the way that things are and an insistence that it does not have to always be here, that the spirit breathes into bodies, that the dust comes alive to dance and the bodies come out of that blur. How it is, how it was, is not always how it needs to be. We can change, we can evolve, we could be faithful to the spirit as it pulls us into what's next. That's how we are going to stay. I will not stay in this tradition if it means staying in a form that is no longer healthy for me. You should not stay inside of a form, or a tradition, or religion, or a habit of any kind that is not insisting that you continue to grow, that you continue to explore, that you ask new questions, that you challenge old answers, that you you assess your life and don't just assume your life. This is how we be faithful to the spirit. This is how we allow the dust to dance once again. Which means to my friends who feel like they're spiraling, trying to get to that place where they arrive with new kinds of answers, to finally quiet all of these these haunting questions. The truth is I don't know that we ever arrive because the moment that we do, the dust stops listening to the breath and it falls back into the earth. The truth is I think that we are all endlessly, dizzingly, frustratingly, agonizingly trying to figure it out as we sloppily go along because the Spirit is always doing new. The Spirit is always pulling us to what's next. And we can fight this, we can resist this, we can dig in our heels, we could wish things were the way that they used to be. We can imagine this pristine time in our lives or our country when we could just get back to there. But the Spirit is always doing new. The universe continues to move forward. Spirit waits for us to do the same. And so how will we do that? I'm not coming as your answer, man. I'm not coming as somebody who can give you the blueprint because the moment I do that, I don't trust it. What does it look like faithfulness for us as the table community inside of the big C church? This little pocket of fringe folk who are trying to figure out, how do we, can we fit inside this tradition? If so, what does it look like? How do we do this? How do we insist on the malleability? What kind of forms is the Spirit trying to bring us into that we can hold loosely enough to be receptive to where the Spirit is bringing us next?
1: It's the spirit of God that continues to move in us and through us, that helps us to transcend our our own humanness. And it's this God, a world-centric God that we follow and that we celebrate when we gather together to share in communion on Sunday nights. And on the night before that God, our Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And likewise, he took a cup. And after pouring wine into that cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. So when we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we remember, we remember this God that spirit is alive and moving and helping us transcend our own human limitations. So if you have some bread or cracker, juice or water at home, hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And now together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.